Hey there, and welcome to Church of the Beloved's weekly sermon podcast. My name is Kevin Zhou, and I serve on staff as the production manager here at COTV. This week's message is brought to us by senior pastor Clint Shamblin. He's preaching from 1 John chapter 5, verses 13 through 21. We wrap up, like I said, the, the series on 1 John. And today, John's concluding remarks. Uh, if I can give a quick refresher on what's happened. John is writing to a group of friends. He had helped plant it and pastored and brought along in Asia Minor. And these friends had come along to the point where they were maturing in the faith. What had happened is a number of people from inside the church and outside the church were speaking doctrines that weren't true that were false, that were uh, outside the bounds of what John had preached to them and raised them up on. They were essentially saying to themselves, we have outgrown this Bible and this gospel and this Jesus guy. We need, we need more. We need what Christians call at times meat, uh, richer food to consume and to go. And John's caution to them was this. Uh, if you think a perfect, almighty, all-powerful ever-present, only holy God coming down to earth and willingly dying on the cross for your sins is not the meatiest, deepest thing in the entire world, and you've moved on from that, I pray for your soul. Essentially what he says. He says, if you need to move on from that truly and honestly, both in the kind of tongue-in-cheek and both in the absolutely, I pray for your soul, because it is the deepest, the meatiest, the, 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 the most complex reality in the entire world, in the entire cosmos, that that fact is true. So John cautions them, warns them, and then spends five chapters going through ways to enact that, ways to do that well. And today we come to his very final remarks, his, his conclusion in a sermon if you will. And the letter of 1 John is very sermon-like. It would be as though somebody stood up, read it from uh, the the place that they were gathering uh, in Asia Minor and said, hey, John has a sermon for us and read through it. And his concluding remarks, his application, if you will. I've spent any time uh, around pastors. Uh, You get to know, they they each have their own little way of basically doing a sermon. Um, and sometimes I mess around and do two points or four points, but my standard is introduction, three points, conclusion. It's just the simplest thing. You get in a rhythm. You know what it is. Uh, it's like uh, coach and remember the Titans. It's like Novocaine. Give it time. It works. Just the thinnest playbook, thinnest thing. John is concluding here. He's giving his final application, his final push. The thing he wants to summarize what he's been saying in four chapters so far. And what he is saying is this. It's insanely relevant for us today. My prayer and hope is that you see how relevant it is for your life. His concluding remarks are this. Do not ask yourself the question, what the world can give you that the church and the gospel cannot. That That was a real temptation of the early church. They had thought, well, I've heard this Jesus, I've received him, and now I'm more enlightened, I'm better, I'm going above and beyond what the Bible has given me. And the question that John is trying to answer, the problem that we have, is we think to ourselves, the gospel can't give me what the world can. The church, the gospel of Christ can't give me everything the church can. The, the, The world has more to add to the church or to the gospel. Or another way of putting it is maybe this. Uh, I come to faith, I come to Christ for him to improve my life. I have a good life, I have a great life, uh, I, have, I have a good career, I have a good family. And Jesus, I'll use him because he has nice things to say to me and good additional aspects. Um, 
it's kind of like today that we have this salad bar of beliefs that we go through and we pick and choose uh, maybe a little from Jesus, maybe a little from Eastern culture or Western culture or American consumerism or politics. And, and we kind of make this smorgasbord and say, ah, now this, this is the good stuff. And what John's emphatic reminder, John's absolute declaration is that will kill you. If you do that, that will destroy you. If you do that, that will not bring you life. If you do that, what he says is you will not have assurance in anything you do. If, that is, if that's how you approach the church, if that's how you approach the gospel, if that's how you approach Christ, he's improving your life or he's, or he's a nice addition to it. And, and that's the vast majority of people I meet who aren't part of a community, who aren't part of church. They think to themselves, well, what can this Jesus guy do that, that can help me out here and there? Well, yeah, I, I'll kind of take this teaching and this teaching. And Jesus says here, but not elsewhere. And John says, you won't find assurance in life if you live that way. You can't cherry pick your way to a confident, assured, completely secure life. The only way that you can have a completely secure, completely, to experience full assurance and confidence as you walk out in the world. I, as I talk to many people, one of the aspects that's so, so evident to us is that we have experienced the world and all the promises of the world come back to us void. They, they come back to us. How many times have we heard, you know, well, this next movement or this next person or this next artist or this next fill in the blank is going to change and revolutionize us. It's, it's really going to help us. It's really going to bring us into peace and prosperity. Yes, this is our next great hope. Uh, I was listening to, in preparation for the sermon, I was listening to Martin Lloyd-Jones Jr. He's a preacher who has since passed. Uh, and he came in uh, into acclaim during World War II and, and after the Great War, after the Second Great War in England. And he just preached a sermon on which he said, the power of this age in Britain is self-expression at all costs. And this was, this was a number of years ago now. This is, this, is, this is 1940s, 1950s, in which he's saying this post-World War 1960s as, as things continue to go. And he says, ah, the, the, biggest, the biggest idol, as John will call them, in our world is self-expression. Now fast forward 50, 60 years into Britain today, and Britain is experiencing, we're experiencing now what Britain experienced 50 years ago, and Britain is now experiencing something that we haven't experienced yet. People have tried the self-expression route. I was just talking to somebody before service, and they had a music t-shirt on, uh, and they told me the band, who it was. And sure enough, it was a critique on America from a British band that was critiquing America. And I was like, <laughs> Britain, Britain exports sarcasm to us all day long. We export the English language and, and Starbucks and consumerism. Britain tries the English language, but it's a little weird. Uh, I, know they're, I know they're English. I understand. That's the joke. Um, but also sarcasm. And, and they critiqued that, and now they're experiencing a revival within churches where people are removing themselves from self-expression and coming back to orthodoxy. They're doing what John says, and they're, they're 50 years ahead of us. Today, I want, I want you to understand, you cannot be assured, you cannot be confident, you cannot trust in the systems of this world because the systems of this world change every five years, 10 years, 20 years, certainly every 50 years. And some people are behind, some people are ahead, and it's always evolving, and you will never feel secure. You'll never feel confident. You'll never feel like you have assurance without permanence. Permanence is the only answer that you can have where somebody looks at you and says, I love you no matter what. And you go, no matter what? 
No matter if I'm no matter if I'm bad or good or great or glorious or horrible or fail, and you say, Yes, I love you no matter what. Permanence. Ah. I want you leaving today with permanence. I want you leaving today not thinking that uh, if if you got tickets and you're on the boot list of Chicago uh, for your car, for those of us who drive, uh, and, and you called Chicago and said, hey, I sent in my check. Did you get my check? Am I off the boot list? And they said, maybe. Be like, no, I need to know if I'm off the boot list or not. And they go, maybe. Like, well, I can't drive anywhere. I can't park anywhere. Ah, try it at your own risk. Like, you, you should never go out because your car's going to be booted and it's going to be thousands of dollars to try to get it back. That's the world's operating system. Am I secure? Maybe. Do I have hope? Maybe. John says, I don't want you to have that. I want you to have complete security, complete confidence. So here's what I want to do today. I want to show you what the beginning of assurance is, how to continue in that assurance, and then lastly, how to protect that assurance. I want to show you the beginning of assurance, the continuation of assurance, and the protection of insurance. And let me start with saying the beginning of assurance. John says, he, he defines what he means by assurance. He says in verse 14, this is the confidence we have. Continuing on 15, and we know whatever we ask, we have what we ask. And you go, wait a second, whatever we ask? Now, I touched on this a number of weeks ago, but let me help remind us. When he says you have whatever you ask, it's not me saying, well, I have a, I have a, it's not like Santa Claus, okay? The children are out, I could talk about Santa Claus now. Um, it's not like a Santa Claus wish list where you say, well, I want this, 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 and this, and I'm going to be a good little boy or girl, and I'm going to ask for it, and I'm going to get it. That's not what he's saying. That's not saying God comes to us and says, what do you want? Uh, sit on Santa's lap and, and tell me all your desires and all your dreams. What he means, what John means is this. His entire hope in the final concluding remarks is, I want you to have absolute assurance that nothing can be taken from you. I want absolute confidence that you are mine forever. And then he says, because we know whatever we ask, God wants and gives to us. Now, we should ask ourselves. It's not so much me bringing a request list to God as it is me understanding what God likes and wants and desires and me asking him, God, help me have the same tastes that you love because I know whatever you love will come to pass. I know whatever you love, God, you're an eternal God, you're an almighty God, you're an all-sovereign God. Nothing can come against you. So if you want something to happen, it will so we should ask, what does God love that I am to ask? Because if I ask what he loves, he's like, yes, of course, here you go. Just like a good father who his children say, Dad, I want to eat McDonald's every day. Some of y'all are sick, by the way, on McDonald's, just really quick. I found out that like McDonald's is a treat for some of y'all, and that's just nasty. Like, I... <laughs> boo, Anna, Anna's booing, that's fantastic. Some of y'all are like, oh, that's the best thing in the world. I said, I said something the other day, like, oh, I'm going to treat my kid to something. Like, oh, so you're going to go to McDonald's? I'm like, no. <laughs> I was shocked and flabbergasted. If my child asked, I went to McDonald's every single day, I'd, be, I'd say, no. No, that's, you're going to get sick. You're going to get gross. You're going to get disgusting. There's a whole documentary of a guy who tried to do this for a month. Let's go watch it together. Church. <sighs> we should know. Anna and I will watch it. Well, Derek, I'll make Derek get it for you. I'll send it to you. You can watch it. Um, what John is saying is we should know what God loves because whatever God loves, he will give us because he loves it and he's a good father that gives us good gifts. So your question should be, what does God want? 
Now, I want to narrow the focus down because he wants lots of things. I want to narrow it down to what he's talking about in chapter 5. Eternal security. Eternal security. Permanence. Here's what 2 Peter 3.9 says. If the question is, what does God want as it pertains to eternal security? 2 Peter 3.9 says this, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. He's patient, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. That's what he says. That's God's desire. That's God's wants. So you should be asking yourself, what does he want my assurance? He wants everyone to come to everlasting faith and salvation that can't be taken. He wants all of his creation to say this. This was the problem that happened in the garden. This is the problem that happened in Eden. And this is what he had a remedy for. He said, I give you everything. Everything in this garden is yours. Don't eat the tree of, of, of life, of knowledge. Don't, don't do that. Here's, here's, here's a statute. Here's a precept. Don't do this. And what Adam and Eve did in the garden was they said, thanks, but no thanks. I want my way. I think I know best. Actually, the biggest lie of the serpent was saying, ah, does God really want the best for you? That was the lie. The lie was, God's restricting you? How dare he? He doesn't love you. And Adam and Eve said, yeah, you're right. You know what? You're right. He is restricting. God would never restrict me. Ha, the fruit is mine. And God said, you want your way instead of my way. That's what sin is. Sin is saying, I want my way. I have the answers. You're the problem, God. I have the right way. You don't. That's what sin is. And what John states in chapter 5 is this. That's the normal, absolute, regular way our hearts are postured towards him. See, I think we have this lie that we believe in the world, that the world is neutral. It's, it's innate in us. If you've, if you've had any system of education in Western philosophy, you believe that the world is neutral, if not good. And what John says is that flies in the face of Scripture. The world is not neutral. I, I won't combat if it's good because we can get in. You can rightly say, well, pastor, don't we have a, a Mago Day? Aren't, isn't creation good? Isn't Vista's good? Aren't his people good? Yes, they are. That's general grace. And you say, okay, so we're good. Well, we were made good. We were made in his image. We were made to love, and, and we disconnected that in the garden. We said, nope, I want my way. And what John is saying is now our bent, our natural disposition is that we want self the world you and I were born into teaches us from early onset, get you some. If I, could, if I could shorten it down and put it in the easiest definition, the world system says, get you some. You want something? Go get it. You want to, you, you want to be whatever you want? Go get it. G.I. Joe, 1980s. Be all you can be. That's the world system. We have it right, we have it good, we can go seek, we can go produce, we can go define. And what John is saying is that will change in at maximum 50 years, maybe 100. See, the first part, the first aspect of finding this assurance is this assurance. What John says, what, what Peter says is this, God wants all his creation saved, meaning, now follow with me, Class, follow with me. We're going to do the logic. Every single person, every single ounce of creation is fallen and broken outside of Christ. 
Every single one, every single thing, everything, every single aspect is not neutral, is not good, but rather has rejected God's way and taken on our own way. That's what he says. But God's desire is that we don't stay that way. God's desire is that we don't stay that way. And what John says later is this. He says, I want you born again, or I should say actually earlier. In John's gospel, John 3, verses 4 through 7, it says this. It says, he wants us, how can someone be born when they are old, Nicodemus says. And Nicodemus is this religious leader. He comes to Jesus, and Jesus is teaching about this, how the world has fallen, and you need to be born again, he calls it. Now, if you haven't heard that term before, let's find out what it means. If you have heard that term before, more than likely, you've heard it in very faulty language, if I can be so gentle. Uh, the term born again has encompassed a demographic sense of people, and, and I, I want to get away from that. I want to actually show you what John 3, 4 through 7 says. It says this, I apologize, Nicodemus, religious man, Jesus is teaching him, and he says this, surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus says, you must be born again, and Jesus answers, and, and Nicodemus says, no, 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 no I, can't, I, can't, I can't be, I can't literally crawl up my mom's womb and be born again. That's weird, Jesus. And he says, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and of the Spirit. We call this the second birth, or born again. And what it means is this. It means I recognize my natural disposition, my natural order, my natural inclinations, the world I was born into, the value systems, the DNA, the heritage, the tradition are wrong. And I need new DNA, new values, new tradition, new heritage, new lineage. That's what Jesus says. Jesus says, no one can be born, no one can come to the kingdom unless you're born of water and of spirit, not of flesh, is what he's getting at. Now see, second birth means this. It says, it's a recognition, it's a value system that says, my natural way of thinking, the way in which I feel, the way in which I think, the way in which I feel, the way in which I live, is get you some. If you were to do a quick survey of the history of the world, Western, Eastern, it doesn't matter. You choose the civilization. Quick survey of the history says this. It is ran by people who want their way above everything else. When I say get you some, I mean every political system, every government system, every cultural system says, I know what's best, I want this, and I'm going to propagate this. It's self-love. And what's so counter to all of that, what's water and spirit, not flesh. Flesh is survival mode. Water and spirit says this, sacrificial love. Not get you some, give to others some. Not take what you can, give what you've been given. That's the inverse. That's the flip. That's the change that the second birth gives. The second birth is leaving the realm of what is and embracing what will be. It stopped looking at the world as I see it and start looking at the world as God sees it, that one day all things will be reconciled, that one day the kingdom of heaven will make perfect, that there will be no need for sickness because sickness will be gone. There will be no need for reconciliation because we'll be completely reconciled. There will be no need for tense conversations because tense conversations will be done. We'll be at Sabbath Shalom, peace. There'll be no more need for war because we'll all get along. This is where we're going, and this is the counterculture reality that we should live into today. The world of not get you some, but the world of give what you've been given. Now, I say it's the beginning of assurance. It's the beginning of understanding because, really quick, could you, could you all imagine this? 
Could you all imagine going to your family, your parents, your mother, your father who gave you birth, and, and looking at them and saying to them, I think everything you live for is wrong, and I'm rejecting everything you taught me. Okay, just sit in that for a moment. How awkward do you feel? Could you say, could you do that? Because that's what Christianity does to the world system born into. It's an awkward conversation. It's a tense conversation. It's a hard conversation. It is not saying, well, I can work with some things and let me add Jesus onto them. It's saying, I, I can't keep going down this road of what you're giving me, world systems. I must, I must push back that selfishness. John goes on later to describe that the whole neutrality of the world is a lie because it's under the supervision of selfishness. It's under supervision of what it says, the evil one. It says, we are apart from God. We're distant from him. The only way that you'll ever change positions in life is if you realize the position you're currently in is not good. If you think the position you're in is good, do you, will you ever change? You'll never change. This is, why, this is why imaging within medical field is so, so fascinating to me. Because somebody, a doctor will come to you and say, hey, you, you, you have blockage in this organ. You're like, no, I don't. Okay, let's go to the MRI, let's go to the CAT scan, let's go to the x-rays. And you're like, oh, there's blockage there. Yes, there is. It's causing all the problems. We should probably remove that. Yes, we should. You won't do that unless you have a picture of what is happening. You won't change anything. To be born again means that I am not satisfied. I'm revolting against my natural order and choosing something different. Now, church, friends, do you know how hard that is? Do you know how difficult that is? It's insanely difficult. And don't you slip up, and even if, even if you came from a family that wasn't great, some of us have those stories, don't we? And you want to remove yourself from that family because the heritage, the lineage, the tradition. Don't you sometimes revert back to learned behavior? And you go, oh, I don't want that to be me. It's hard. But the beginning of it, is a statement that says, I won't look towards the world's or my tradition or my heritage or my flesh for solutions, but rather I will prioritize what Christ has given me. And that is what it means to be born again. Period. Second birth. New DNA. New reality. New, new system. So we should talk about that. That's the beginning of assurance. How are you secured in permanence? By being born again. Second question. How do you continue on in that assurance? Once we start it, I'll give you three ways that we can keep doing it. It's with a new identity, a new reality, and new alignment. New identity, new reality, new alignment. It says in verse 16, if you see a brother or sister sin. Okay, now wait a second. I'm going to stop right there because this is the new identity. I said removing ourselves from the world is like removing ourselves from a family. And we typically think... We come to faith or, or we remove ourselves from some way. We like to think of ourselves as free agents, don't we? We like to think of ourselves as people who are, are brilliant thinkers, brilliant theologians or philosophers or, or action-oriented people. And the reality is once we leave one family, you must, you have to join another. Because to be a free agent on your own is not good. It's not healthy. It's not wise. It's not beneficial. So, as John says... Don't give in to the idols of this world. Instead, if you see a brother or sister sin. Now, I want to talk about how bold this is and how countercultural this is. 
Because John has just said, you leave one system and you join another system. It's not leaving a system and having no system. That doesn't work. It's leaving one system and joining another system that is a family. Now, you hear family, and some of us, again, have negative reactions to that, don't we? You say, well, I don't want it to be like my family. My family had XYZ problems with it. Okay, then let's, let's look at what Christ declares is his family and how it ought operate and how we should pursue that operation together, how we feel assured. Because, like I said before, you may join a new family or a new way of system, a new understanding, and yet you feel pulled to go to the old system. You feel pulled to do old behaviors that you know you shouldn't do. And the point is not to do those things. That's never the point. Friends, hear me. The point is to never feel like you don't want to go back to those old systems. Because guess what? That's a never-ending process. You'll always feel pulled to do that. That's, that's the problem with our age. That's the problem with the world. That's the problem with our faith, is that we know the thing we should do, and yet we do the thing we shouldn't do. So John builds it in. He builds in assurance of how we can know we're saved forever. And he does it in two ways. He says, you're now a new family, a new identity. And two aspects I want to hit on about this new identity, this new family, very quickly. One, it's completely and totally free and accessible to anybody. That's the first part of family. Completely and totally free and accessible to all people. And two, there's no preference in it. One, it's completely and totally accessible to all people, and there's no preference in it. Where do I get the no preference? Galatians 3.28 says this, and it's a powerful passage. There's, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. What Galatians is saying is this, and what's remarkable about the Christian faith is this, access to it is not based upon creed or motto, heritage, ethnicity, Gender, none of that. If you want salvation, what, what Christ has said is, I want all my creation to be saved, and it's accessible to everyone. Do you know what the world says? The world says, no, it's only accessible to the intellectual, the influential. It's only accessible based upon your race or your ethnicity or your socioeconomic status or your political ideological stance. How many people do you know that have refused to talk to other people because they have a political stance that's different from them? They say, I won't talk to them. Did you have those tense holiday conversations? <laughs> See, the world system is access is only granted based upon good works that you do. And what Christ says is there's no access that you can, cannot be permitted to come into based upon anything of who you are. Everybody has access to it. That is completely countercultural. That is not the world system. That's a new system. The second way is non-preferential. Once you're a family, once you're with brothers and sisters, there is zero preference you can have. All your preferences are gone. The way in which you want to do something, gone. Instead, you have a new system of building up each other well. Uh, we just had an elders in training dinner. And um, I was called a derogatory term at this dinner. It's called a sports bro um, at this dinner by somebody who was present. I will refrain from saying the name after this. But the point was this. The point was, and it's true, I've talked about this countless times. Every time I want to use a college football analogy, you guys are like, whatever, dude, have fun. <laughs> like, I got no idea what you're talking about. So I'm like, okay, sweet. Ted Lasso? And you're like, okay, better. This is good. Now we're getting there. 
soccer, foot, football, you're like, okay, really good. Now you're talking. Like, okay, great. I have a, if it, if it was my preference, do you know who I'd hang out with all the time? Braves fans, baseball fans, football fans, people that, that enjoy the same things as me, eat the same food. I would love, it would, it would be the easiest thing in the world for me, would it not? Do you know what the hardest thing about pastoring is? And this is truly the hardest part, and I'm not kidding you. And this is, look, you guys know the term punch and patch? If you ever had a friend, we, in summer camp when I did youth ministry, we would make a rule, no punch and patch. So you'd have this whole week with people, and you'd be like, oh, man, we're so close friends. You're like, yeah, I know. And he'd be like, I hated you at the beginning of the week. And you're like, wow, that's so weird. So we can't do punch and patch. Punch is like, oh, I hate you, but now I love you. And you're like, thanks? I don't know what that means. Okay, this is going to border on that, but it's not punch and patch. It's me saying one of, the, one, of the, one of the best gifts of pastoring is this. I pastor people that I would not have any access to or, or relationship with or investment in if it wasn't for the church. And that's beautiful. That's the only, the only place that can happen is in the church because we don't come with our preferences. Everybody else has preferences. Literally everywhere else. Ted Lasso has a bar in which if you don't root for the, the, the football club, you can't eat there. We're tribal. The church is not tribal. Oh, friends, hear this. The family you're a part of does not have preferences of how you get into it and who can be there, who can stay there. It has no preferences. So here's a challenge to you. If you still live with preferences of what you like more than what is good, my question to you is this. Are you assured of Christ's permanence or are you assured of your preferences your preferences will come and go i promise you uh, just this last week i had some sort of i wouldn't call it sushi this is not sushi that i had it was some rice thing and there was some meat on top of it and that's as close as i'm going to get to sushi for right now but it was good i enjoyed it i don't like sushi okay there it is my Okay, yes, good. Come to reality with that. Let it soak in. <laughs> my tastes are changing. You know why my tastes are changing? Why? Why, is, why are my tastes changing? <laughs> I'm being sanctified, maybe. <laughs> I'm hanging out with people that like it. That's why. Do you see how preferences go out the window the second you become part of a family? And then lastly, new reality. I'm sorry, secondly, new reality. So first is new identity, second is new reality. Uh, I was, like I was saying, Martin Lloyd-Jones, I was listening to him prepare a sermon as I was preparing a sermon to him preach, and one of the things he said is, the church seems very small, the gospel seems very small to people outside of it. Like we're trying to restrict, the gospel puts rules on you and you have a very narrow life. You don't get to enjoy all the world's pleasures, so to speak. And what he says is, actually, that's not true. Actually, what happens when you become a Christian, actually, what happens when you become part of a family is things don't restrict, they expand. What does he mean by that? He means this. The new reality we have is that I am a sojourner in this world, and this world cannot give me everything I have, which is good and glorious, because have you heard this thing that's out there called Christian nationalism? What it says is, the nation, the thing I hold, this will give me hope. And what Christ says is, I made you sojourners in the wilderness. What are you talking about? You can't hold on to one nation. Because what does he say in his word? One day, every knee will bow from every tribe and nation. You can't say, here's my flag and here's where I'm going to plant it. You can't do that. 
Why? Because what he is saying, what Martin Lloyd-Jones is saying, is that instead of limiting us, it expands our horizons. It brings all people into it. We go from just the physical to spiritual and physical. The world just has physical. It has no spiritual. What do you mean it's limiting? It's expanding. The new reality we have is this world is not all we have. It's part of what we have. And that expands our horizons so much, does it not, friends? We can pray now. What are you going to pray for in the world? I pray to this tree that can't hear me. Okay, great. It can't hear you. You, you know that. I know that. You can't pray to it. I pray to a spiritual, but ah, now we're talking. Now we, get, now we get high and elevated and much bigger than our world. And then lastly, new alignment. New alignment happens. Uh, I am going to use a football analogy. I'm sorry. I just can't help it. Uh, this last couple weeks, um, I was uh, watching the NFL draft. The NFL draft happened. I like college football. And I like all players from Georgia. They're my favorite players in the entire world. Five players are now on the Philadelphia Eagles. They all got drafted to one team. They're all together. They're all like they're getting the band back together. I can't stand the NFL. I don't watch it on Sundays. I don't have time, and I, I don't like the NFL. But do you know what I'm going to start doing this coming season? Watching the Eagles. Why? Is it because I like the Eagles? No. Because I like the NFL? No. <laughs> Why? Because the people that I like are there. And now I have a new alignment. Now I will turn on the TV and I will watch the Eagles and I will root for them. Why? Because I have alignment there. The people I love are there, so to speak. I don't love the players. Calm down. It's not idol worship yet. <laughs> it's close. I, I dance the line. <laughs> you should love the things your family loves. Why? Because your family's there. You have a new alignment. Lastly, the protected assurance. That's the beginning of assurance, the continuation of assurance, and now the protection of assurance. Even with a new family, a new identity, new alignment, we are still what I will call professional, unfaithful people. Here's another way of saying it. Are you, do you follow every command God ever gives you every single day of your life? And of course you go, no, pastor, of course not. Of course not. I know you. Of course you don't. You know me. Of course I don't. And we say to ourselves, well, well, how do I have assurance if I'm supposed to have a new family? I'm supposed to have a new identity. I'm supposed to align things. I'm supposed to love what the family loves. And I don't sometimes. I go kicking and screaming. That's because we're professional, unfaithful people. The Old Testament has a word, and it's not a, a particularly glorious word. And the New Testament changes it a little bit, but the Old Testament calls us adulterers. That's what we're called in the Old Testament. The New Testament calls us sheep. Really quick, do you know what sheep are notorious for? Being dumb. <laughs> Just, they wander all over the place. They go up on cliffs and they get stuck. They like start heading straight to a wolf and like, hey, you look like a buddy. And the wolf's like, sweet, come on over here. Sheep are notoriously unfaithful, wandering things. That's what the hymn says. The hymn says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the one I love. That's what the scripture always indicates to us. It always warns us. This is what I mean, protection of assurance. It says in verse 18, anyone born again does not go on sinning. Now, wait a second. Anyone born of sin does not go on sinning. Pastor, I sin. Am I not born again? Ah, this is, this is baked in assurance. Let me show you what I mean by assurance. 
Let me show you what I mean by gift. It says, if you go on sinning, meaning if you live a life in which you have been told the right way and choose to do differently, choose to go against the family, choose to go against God's word habitually and forever, and you don't want to change and you say no to it, John is saying, Maybe you're not born again, and maybe that's a gift to you to say you're being asked to do something you can't do. There's this, you know, the internet meme of the guy standing, he, he gets the job, uh, and he's standing in front of all the, the network wires, and it says, when you lie on your resume, and the guy's just standing there like this, looking at the wires, like, what do I do with this? I don't know where to begin. I don't know what to do. Maybe the most loving thing is to tell that person and to tell you, you're trying to do something you can't ever do. So stop doing it and go back to point one. If you, can't, if you go on sinning and you're wondering to yourself, I'm sinning, I'm sinning, I'm sinning. Why can't I stop sinning? Why can't I stop doing this thing? The answer that John gives is maybe you're not born again and maybe you need to realize that maybe you've been religious but not faithful. Maybe you think that doing good works saves you instead of Christ alone saves you. So that's point one. Point two is this, if you're a Christian and you see yourself mature and you see yourself progressing, guess what? That's baked in gift of God saying, look, you're assured of my work in you. Look, how do you know you're saved? You stopped doing stupid things of your youth. That's how you know you're saved. Pastor, I don't feel close to God. People come to me and say, Pastor, I don't feel close to God. What do I do? And I go, have you ever voiced this to somebody else before? And they said, no, this is the first time I go, that's how you know you're close to him. And they go, what do you mean? I don't feel close to him. Yeah, but you're changing your behavior. You're doing what the Psalms say, which is expressing and confessing and asking other people to come alongside of you. And and people go, me saying I don't feel close to God is me actually being close to God. Yes. Do you think that with your friends, with your spouses, with your significant others, you always feel close to them? No. If you're not dating anybody right now and you think, oh, it's going to be bliss when I get together with somebody, you're wrong. But you can still be close and admitting you're not close is actually being close. That's transparent. That's real. That's honest. That's sincere. The baked in a, when, when John says, if you go on sinning, no one born again can continue sinning. He says, stop and think if you're born again. And if you're born again and you've seen yourself grow and you've seen yourself mature, that's how you know you're close to God. That's the first. You stop sinning habitually. The second thing is others help you do it. How do you know you're saved? The protection of that? You stop sinning when it's pointed out to you. And secondly, you trust others to help you. You trust the family. You'll stop wanting your own way and start wanting the family's way. That's how you know you're saved. And you'll, you'll entrust yourself. You'll co-submit. You'll bring yourself under other people. That's how you know. Because that's what family does. Family helps each other out always and points out the blind spots we can't see. A gospel person will stop wandering away from God when others point it out, period. That's what John says. That's his whole entire, that's his whole entire letter to the church in Asia Minor. Many of you have abandoned the faith. If you've been reminded that and come back, assurance. If you have left and you don't want to do that and being pointed out that, now your chance to get into it. 
This is John's conclusion. This is how I know you have a new identity. This is how I know he wants to protect us. This is how I know he wants to help us with that fact. His concluding remarks in verse 21 says, stop loving idols. And he's done. He says, you have a new identity, a new alignment, and a new reality. Stop loving idols. Friends, can I just, this is my encouragement to you. And I'm going to go down, I'm going to, stop thinking politics will save you. Stop thinking culture will save you. Stop thinking your friends will save you. Stop thinking your spouse will save you. Stop thinking your kids will save you. Stop thinking your accolades will save you. Your career will save you. Your comfort will save you. Your vacation will save you. Stop it. It won't. Do you know why? It'll change in 10 years. I promise you. It'll change in 10 years. Instead, trust the only one who has never changed the unchanging one, the unceasing one, the now and forever, the almighty, the all-sovereign, the all-loving, the all-perfect God who looks at us and says to you, I love you because of what I've done, not because of what you've done. And how do you receive that assurance? Stop believing fraudulent lies of the world that says, if you follow me, you'll get good things. It won't. You know how I know? We've literally tried every economic and governmental system ever known to man. <laughs> and it hasn't worked. Civilizations come and fall, laws come and go. It's actually, isn't that our cultural problem today? People are mad. Well, we used to be this way, now I want it this way, and back and forth and back and forth. That was the quickest summation I gave you of the news in 30 seconds right there. And I just go, why are you, why are you believing that lie? It will never bring you hope. The only one who could bring you hope is the one who says sacrificial love, not self-love, is the only way forward. And let me show you on full display on the cross. Here is my sacrificial love for you. Do you see it, friends? The good news that we have is this gift is open, again, to everybody at all times, in all nations, to all people. Thanks for tuning into this week's COTB Sermon Podcast. For more info or to connect with us online, you can find us at cotb.life.